the guys from Ping, they've kind of shown me how much the equipment matters. I just love that I can hit any shot I kind of want. We're going to be able to tell some fun stories about what goes on here to help golfers play better golf. Welcome back to the Ping Proving Grounds podcast. Marty, it is one of the great parts of the year. I'd say in both of the areas we live at, in the Northeast, just wrapping up fall golf, which has been epic, obviously. Now I'm just raking yeah. leaves all the time. But <laughs> we roll into Halloween week. You get the weather to break. Now, I know you're dealing with a bit of overseed right now, but golf courses are about to be epic for the next four or five months in yep. Arizona. Is this the best time of the year, I'd say, just as a universal truth in the United States? I, Shane, I talk to my wife about that all the time. I love the fall. She loves the spring. Her birthday's in the spring, Easter. You know, flowers are blooming, but it's always windy in the spring. As a golfer, I love those perfectly calm, no wind, quiet fall days. That's my favorite. Marty, are you an adult dresser-upper for Halloween, or is I know I know your kids are a little older than mine. I'm assuming if you did that at one point, it might you might be out of it. Yeah, we 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 stopped that a while back. We phased <laughs> out of the adult dresser-upper. It's all about the kids nowadays. Yeah, I'm. I'm a, the reason I have the beard, by the way, is I'm Luigi to my son's Mario this year. So oh, this will that. all be shaved for uh, for the actual day, and it'll just be the Luigi mustache. So I've been letting it grow a little, maybe a little more than I like uh, for this time of year. But uh, we're gonna be the Mario Luigi family. The Love wife's that. dressing up. My mom's flying in. I did want to ask you, did you have an epic golf costume at any point in your life for Halloween? Man, I think one year, I, like a couple of us on the golf team here in town, we dressed up like Payne Stewart. So we had the knickers ah, nice, and everything. Nice. And, you know, Payne Stewart cap. And so that was kind of like our style. And then I think we actually wore that like on the last round of the state championship thing. But that was my, that was probably my favorite golf. But uh, non golf, uh, my dad and I made like, it was when the Ghostbusters were huge. So I had this cool like paper mache Ghostbusters thing and that that was probably my favorite and marty can we just say this now this wasn't like you went down the street and there was a spirit halloween store when we were growing up like if you no. wanted a sweet ghostbusters outfit mom and dad and you were like getting on the ground and cutting this stuff up and building a ghostbusters outfit oh yeah 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 we there was like a month we were working on that thing <laughs> i remember yeah building the backpack and the tubes and the hoses and tape it up <laughs> Going buying the silver spray paint and all that stuff. One one year we did a paper mache Spuds McKenzie ah. hat we threw on there, and that one that was my number two favorite. That took forever to build that thing. Yeah, my favorite outfit I ever had as a kid. My mom, who is extremely artistic, you know, she would like make coloring books and things like that. She, I wanted to be a baseball card, so she oh. made me a baseball card. It was like a sandwich board outfit. It was a Nolan Ryan baseball card. And it was huge, like all the way down to the ground. And the back <laughs> was like the stats you'd have on the back of a baseball card Sweet. and his career stats and all the things you need to know about Nolan Ryan. And that was easily my favorite as a kid Halloween outfit I had. Uh, I think, as parents do, I think it still might be hanging in my closet, by the way. I don't think she's oh, ever that. thrown around. It's whatever, 30 years old. Um, we are doing a Halloween episode for one specific reason. I know you guys would love to hear us talk about our favorite costumes over the years, <laughs> but... I wanted to dive into the scariest golf shots for players because mm. golf, for whatever reason, we voluntarily play golf, Marty. You know, we do it. People out there that are listening do it. Millions of people around the country play golf voluntarily. Yet, every round of golf, maybe every hole of golf, there are shots that scare the heck out of us. So oh, yeah. I wanted to dive into 
maybe five scary golf shots, and I wanted you to kind of debunk how they aren't actually scary. And I thought maybe an easy one to start with, maybe a softball one. Shout out to our friends at the Fried Egg, Andy and the crew. (laughs) I wanted to start with the Fried Egg because what happens is you see pro golfers and tour players have a Fried Egg lie and they pop it out to eight feet and make par. And when average player, amateur players show up and they see a Fried Egg, it's like might as well move on to the next hole. The fried egg is one for me, Shane. I, I don't know about you, but I, it, it gives me zero anxiety. Like, Agreed. It's a, it's I a agree good with player. you. There's a technique to it, and then there's a speed component. And so I think those are the two big things. I think your everyday golfer, you get the fried egg, number one, you got to go in there with a massive amount of speed because so much of the energy of that swing is going to get eaten up by all that sand that you got to go through. So the advantage that the better player has is number one, we, you know, just way more club head speed. So it kind of shows you the value of speed. And then number two is the technique. So, you know, I think the main way that myself and the better players hit the fried egg shot is you're gonna that you're gonna kind of stick the club into the sand, right? And I was even taught a technique. I think you saw Sevy do this. You saw Norman do it back in the day when they had this fried egg, where you recoil. You're gonna go in there and swing as hard as you can, uh, go into the sand, and then you recoil it back, right? So you want all that sand to be building up and putting pressure on the ball from below the ball, and that's what's kind of popping it up. So and then a lot of the, the fried egg shot depends on how much green you have to work with and whether you kind of need to get it to pop up soft. I think one of the advantages of the fried egg is normally you get it when you're on the up on the face of a right, bunker. Right, right. So you're already kind of kind of got that, you know, helping you get it out. That's usually when you get the fried egg. Um, but there's a technique where you actually, if it's super fried, like really deep, you'll actually close the face and hit it with a super close face. Again, the loft that you have on the club isn't really what's doing the work per se when there's that much sand. So a lot of it is how do you get the sand to kind of build up and, and, and get it out. So yeah, the fried egg for the better player, Shane, is definitely one of those where we go in there, we don't have that anxiety. Your everyday golfer is like, oh no, <laughs> I'm, I want to take an unplayable. Get this right thing right down here. seven. <laughs> exactly. It's interesting, Marty. I was taught initially as a kid to do the that what you were talking about on the on the back part of that, where you'd close the face. Yep. You'd almost hit it like a. I always kind of equated it to a shovel. Like you're yes. sho- you're basically shoveling the ball out. Like that's the idea. You said it. Yep. The sand, in theory, is pushing the ball up and totally. creating you know height and arc and getting even a little softness out of that shot. Yep. But I think something you said is interesting about bunker shots in general because I think bunker shots in general are scary golf shots for high handicap players. And one of the issues is speed. One of the issues speed. for everyday golfers Definitely. is they're hitting those shots decelerated or they're not going at it. Fully, and what I'll tell my friends that struggle out of the bunkers, hit a bunker shot as hard as you possibly can yes. first, and let's see where the ball ends up. Yes. So you want to – i that's my de facto advice for the high handicapper. Swing as hard as possible out of the bunker, and if it goes too far, open the face. And then you change how much you open the face, but that scares people. That's a scary thing for a lot of golfers because they're, they're used to, hey, I'm around the green. If I open the face, I'm going to skull this thing. So that's scary. So I think you got to get over that. A, swing as hard as you can for that, for if you're a high handicap player and then keep, and then open the face to hit it shorter and, and hit it higher. All right. So a cousin of the fried egg, Marty. And I would say this is a shot that does give me anxiety and I would yeah. like your advice on it. The 30 to 40 yard bunker shot. 
because you have a cross bunker, you have a bunker short of a green. I mean, these designers are smart. They know where they're placing these bunkers to create a bit of havoc, at least in the brain of a layup on a par five. Where am I hitting this golf shot? You get a little too cute, or maybe you don't quite catch that three wood the way you wanted. And all of a sudden, you're in this disaster. Big X on the yardage book for a lot of tour players. Do not hit it here. Tour players struggle with this shot as well. What's the advice you have to golfers about that scary 30- to 40-yard bunker shot where they can get it up around the green and maybe, say, par on a par 5 or avoid the double bogey? Yeah, no, the, the, it is a scary one. Even yeah, and even you, Shane, you said it. Better players get anxiety about this shot. I actually have some really cool stats on this, and we'll 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 put a uh, a little uh, overlay of this in the YouTube version for those of you that are that are listening on the audio version. We'll put this chart up there. But we ran some numbers from Shotlink, Shane, that showed tour players when they get in the bunker. Uh, they actually have a lower probability to hit the green in regulation from like 60 yards than they do from 120 yards. Your odds of hitting the green are lower out of a bunker from 60 yards than from 120. What Marty, why, why is that? Like, why do you feel like that's the case? I think it's twofold. One, the shot's really hard. We'll talk about maybe a technique to be able to handle that. And then two, I think when you get in those bunkers, they're super penalizing. They're they're the cross bunkers that you got to carry to get to maybe chase it up to the green on the par five or a drivable par four. I remember I played that PGA Championship Harding Park. There's a drivable par four on the back nine there that if you if you didn't get it up by the green, you're 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 having that forty to sixty yard kind of awkward shot, uh, and a lot of times those bunkers have big lips on them. So I think it's kind of twofold, but there's definitely data to back that up that this shot is really hard. So from a technique standpoint, Shane, I learned a technique from a coach that's kind of like I I think it's for me it's like cheating. I should film a little video on this thing. <laughs> you get in there and and we'll talk to Derek Dominski, uh, Golf Better Tucson about this shot too because he's amazing at it as well. Um, but you get in there from say 50 to 60, 70 yards and I will literally use a 6, 7, or 8 iron Wow! from those, from those spots, grip down to the handle, open the face a ton and literally use my same exact technique that I'm going to, I'm going to hit a bunker shot that where I'm, I, I got to hit like 10 yards with a lob wedge. But the thing that you're going to do is you're going to cut it a lot. So you're going to put a lot of side spin on it. So most of the time, if you're in that scenario, your goal, so the, the tour player has a less than 50% chance from that yardage to hit the green in regulation. 60 yard bunker shot. 60 yard bunker shot. Okay. So my goal, anyone's goal is try to get that ball in the green or get yep. up near the green, right? And so you don't need to try to go for the pin or do anything like that. Like anytime you're in that scenario, I'm trying to hit the green. But Shane, I have no anxiety. I will pop into a bunker from 50, 60, 70, even 80 yards. There's this transition point where you try to splat, hit a splash shot with a, you know, six, seven, eight iron, nine iron, or do you transition to try to pick it clean with your lob wedge or sand wedge? For me, that's probably like 80 yards is where I transition to try to pick it clean. Otherwise, I'm hitting a very low lofted club. That's going to give it the energy that needs to get to the hole. Set up with the hands low, face way open. It's going to have cut spin. And then, then you don't need to try to hit it clean. You, I think the advantage of a bunker shot is the only shot in golf besides if you hit one out of the water, where you don't need to hit the ball, okay? So you want to give yourself a little window there, uh, you know, behind the ball. And, and, and that splash shot with a low lofted club gives you that capability. 
Marty, when you're hitting these types of shots, even around the green out of a bunker, are you looking at a spot when you're hitting these shots? Are you looking at the ball? Like, where is impact in your mind mm. being made? I mean, are you – because, I mean, I know it's different for what's the shot being asked. Do you have to hit it yeah. high and have it spin quickly or yeah. you're trying to kind of hit the chunk and run? But how are you deciding in theory – where to hit the sand behind the ball. Yeah, how far behind. If it's a totally, let's call it stock shot, I still love that idea. I don't know if I saw it in a golf magazine or whatever back in the day where <laughs> you put the ball on the middle of a dollar bill Yep. and you're trying to enter on the front side and exit on the other it's, side. I, I use the same thing, Marty. It's so funny you say that. I just did that with my kids. I'm like, okay, here we go. And you'll put that little line there. Now, granted, if, you need to, if I need to spin it more, and the sand is firmer, the firmer the sand, you got to have more risk and, and hit closer to the ball, right? And get a little more V-shape uh, on the swing. So have a little more V-shape, steeper in, steeper out. Uh, the fluffier the sand, uh, you can you kind of have a little more margin for error. It's going to come out maybe with a little bit less spin. Um, and I, I try to have a little bit more U-shape kind of to my swing in the bunker. So very bunker shot dependent, but if the stock one, dollar bill approach. Can't beat it. Marty, I had a uh, I was playing golf yesterday on 17 at my home club. I hit it in the left fairway bunker. I had about 105 yards or something. Yeah. And they just added sand. You know, I mean it's new sand. Yep. And I was looking at the shot and I was you know how you go through your whole routine of like, yeah. all right, am I gonna maybe I hit fifty degree here and just kinda like use more hands, just try to kinda clip it and take a little off? Or do I go hard at a, a sand wedge out of this, which might yep. be my hundred and twenty yard shot, but obviously, you know, it doesn't go as far normally uh, out of a fairway bunker shot and there was so much sand in there. All I could think in my head was, I don't think either of these are going to work. Like, whatever, <laughs> the lie wasn't great, but I was like, whatever the decision I make here, it's likely going to end up being chunked, you know, yes. because it was just oh, yeah. so much thick sand and it wasn't, it was, it was pretty tightly packed, but it was thick and it was just like the disaster scary scenario oh, that for scary. that type of shot. And I'm, it's not going to shock you. I hit it a little chunk and it came up short, <laughs> but I will say too, Marty, I was, I guess, smart enough to aim right of the flag, knowing if I pull the shot off, it'll be on the green. But if yes. I don't pull the shot off, my angle with my third shot is 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 more beneficial for me getting the ball up and down. Yeah, Shane, that's tour-level thinking. I mean, we saw it at the Ryder Cup, man. The caddy comes in there, take the unplayable. You know what I mean? I mean God, how good was that? That was unbelievable. And, and the fact that you gave him credit for it was, was sweet, too. You know, um, but it's just, I think that's the thing. When you get in these scary scenarios, you you get you got to have a plan B. And I guarantee you the tour players are thinking that. They are, them and their caddies, they're thinking it. So smart move right there, Shane. Uh, Marty, I've got a, a list of scary shots on our Halloween episode. Is there any that you want to pull out of kind of the list that we put together that you think would be beneficial to the listener? Yeah, I think, well, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of talk about maybe one that wasn't on there, but that I oh, find nice. scary nice. Let's is, go. uh, <laughs> is, is an elevated T if you're kind of scared of heights and you're hitting driver. Okay. 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 <laughs> so the one that comes to mind for me, like Castle Pines in Colorado, very okay. elevated T you're not quite on the cliff. Uh, but there's a few other courses up there in Colorado where you're hitting driver and you're going at it hard, and you're on a super elevated tee. For those people that are scared of heights, maybe I'm like a little scared. I'm gonna like you know go a little crazy after this tee shot. Uh, <laughs> Jordan Spieth at, uh, at Pebble Beach, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah, the Jordan Spieth at Pebble, exactly. But I think the mud ball one could be an interesting one, Shane. I, I mean, again, I again, I what I find fascinating about uh, mud ball and the forty to sixty yard bunker shot is 
these aren't just scary shots for average players. This is a scary shot across the board. I mean, tour players, oh, yeah. as you mentioned, struggle with that bunker shot, and we see it happen all the time. I mean, the Bubba Watson mud ball clip has gone viral a <laughs> hundred times over because it's brought up every time we see a player struggle with a mud ball. Yeah, and I think, uh, quite frankly, anytime uh, you know any of us good players hit a bad shot, you just kind of say mud ball and, and you just blame it on that. <laughs> Easy to no lead into around. it. All right, so so break down maybe the the mystery of the mud ball. We've all heard if the mud's on the left or the buds on ball, the mud's on the right, it's going to go left. Do you have data that can actually explain what happens with certain mud balls? Oh, do we ever, Shane? So this all started back when uh, I went to second stage of Q school about 10 years ago. I got exempt in the second stage. Okay. And I played at Bear Creek in Marietta, California, and it was wet. It was in November. It was wet. I went there, and it was a, a Nicholas course with all these creeks that ran in front. And I, uh, me and everyone else, like we just had a lot of mud balls. And it was very challenging to figure out what the strategy is. Of course, you know things are going to be more uncertain. That's number one. Like your ball could go way right or it could go straight-ish. So you have to plan for way bigger dispersion and more uh, factor safety. But I came back from that event going, man, we need to have some rules or some science around this thing. So we actually did a pingman test. Okay. And we have a really cool article, Shane, we'll link to it, uh, that's on our Proving Grounds blog on our website where you can go see all the data. And we even have some really cool high-speed video we'll show here uh, with this as well. But we actually went on the pingman and we purposely like caked on mud to the right side of the ball. Okay. And we did that with a bunch of balls. We put on the left side of the ball. We put on the top, the bottom. We caked the whole thing. And we ran all kinds of testing. Uh, and so we do have some great rules on that. Like if you're hitting a four iron, we did a lot of this with like a four iron. So you can kind of transfer it to the mid iron, long iron type of thing. But that what everyone's heard is correct. If there's a lot of mud on the right the ball's going to have a bias to the left. A lot of them on the left, ball's going to have a bias to the right. Now, what I think a lot of people don't know, this has helped me a lot, is that when you have mud on the ball, it's going to fly shorter. Okay. Right? That's the really big thing that I think, oh, you think mud. What's the reasoning for that, Marty? Well, it's a couple things. One, and when we look at this high-speed video, um, the a lot, most of the mud comes off right at impact. But there's energy loss, right? Okay. We, there's mud on the ball. You got extra mass on the ball, a lot of extra mass or a little bit, depending on how much. And so there's more mass on the ball, and then there's energy loss through that mud coming off of the golf ball. So it's kind of slowing down the initial ball speed. That's number one. And number two, any mud that stays on there is changing some of the aerodynamic properties, right? So that airflow staying attached, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change that a little bit. It's going to make it act... A little bit like a ball with no dimples, right? We've all heard a ball with no dimples kind of falls out of the air, seen some cool testing there. It's kind of from that aerodynamic effect that's the other reason that's compounding that the ball is going to go shorter. Or, and then the ball that went the shortest, I think it's kind of obvious, had mud on the back of the ball. So if you have any mud between where your club head is going to hit the ball between the ball and the face, you're going to lose a lot of energy, right? So I think uh, one thing fun about the mud ball, it's something you can test. You can go to the range, make a little, do a little experiment yourself, um, and and see what happens. But the, the, that's the big thing is that the mud on the left and right, they're going to uh, impact from the opposite direction of how that ball is going to fly left and right. But regardless of where that mud was, 
you need a plan for that golf ball flying shorter. So in this four iron test we did, I mean, the the balls with mud on them went, if they had a little bit of mud left and right, they'd go like 20 yards shorter. So 10%, right? So if you're 220, you're like, oh, it's good four iron, got some mud on it. I just need to change the aim. No, it's going to go like 20 yards shorter. If you got mud on the back or the front or the top, it's going to go like 40 yards shorter, right? If you have a lot of mud on there. So that's the big one. And then, and then there's just going to be more variation, right? And I think that's kind of obvious. You got to plan for way more safety in your aim. I, I feel like the mud ball, at least for me personally, when I've been playing, you know, something that matters. So I'm playing a, a money yes. game with my buddies or I'm playing a tournament. What I've learned, and I remember Max Homa told a great story on my Get a Grip podcast when we were doing it together about playing with Fred Couples at the Masters. And Freddie laid up, if you remember, this was the November yes. Masters in 2020, and it was yep. saturated, and they split teed that Masters, if you remember, on Thursday, Friday. So they started on 10, and they got to 13. Couples was laying up on 13, and Max said he hit it about two feet off the ground yeah, to lay I it up. Yeah, I remember that. And he said they walked up, and he, he said he asked him, like, what were you doing? And he goes, A, I was avoiding a mud ball, and B, I knew if there was mud on the ball, it would it would take it off by yes. basically hitting a knockdown layup down the fairway. And, I mean, that's yeah. obviously advanced thinking, and that's a veteran knowing how to play certain golf shots. But one thing I've told people about mud balls is try not to get too aggressive. You know, you have mud on the ball totally. – if it's between shots, lay up, or also if there's a lot of trouble around the green, even if it's a par four, maybe consider hitting a punch nine iron or eight iron down the fairway and then hit the wedge on the green and try to make par that way because there's so much deviation with the ball. You can even hit a good golf. You can make a good swing, hit a good shot, and it could find itself in the piddly area. So maybe uh, take the foot off the pedal a bit when there's a mud ball makes sense. Yeah, you got to take your medicine. You know, you got to take your medicine. Um, and I think what Freddie did is really good advice. Uh, he did it to the the nth degree there. <laughs> but try to flight that ball down because you can minimize the amount of time that ball's in the air. And if it starts to go sideways, it's just going to be in. It's just going to be in the air not as long, right? So kind of keep that ball down is a, another great piece of advice there. Mud ball can be scary, man, especially as a tournament golfer. Whew, you got that mud on the, the left and you got water on the right and the wind blowing and a mid iron. That's a scary shot, Shane, not gonna lie. Marty, I have an I have a I have a scary shot, at least for me, that I want insight from you on in terms of execution. So this maybe is less technology based and a little bit more yeah. execution based. And I was doing the Corn Ferry Tour Championship uh, at the start of the month, and the eighteenth hole at Victoria National is a dogleg right. With water yeah. on the right. Now, okay. I'm a lefty that cuts the ball. That's not a real scary tee shot for nah. me. But if it went the other way, now yeah. you're talking about a scary shot. So what I wrote down was a tee shot with trouble in your shot shape landing zone. So for me, a lefty that cuts the ball, that would be water or out of bounds left. How do you eliminate the either the shot going that way towards the trouble or at least maybe the mindset of that being a scary golf shot with trouble, maybe in the direction of the path your golf ball typically goes. I've struggled like a lot of golfers, Shane, with the the wind the wind uh, off your back uh, and trouble to the right. It's okay. like then that ball could be, get peeling. It's just that exact yes, scenario, exactly. right? And I've tried to think about this, like why is that? And I, and as I've done more force plate stuff and things of that nature. 
I think one thing that's happened that's that's helped me personally is if the wind's blowing off your back. We actually do this at the range because in the summer we have those big uh, uh, big uh, fans and air conditioners yeah, like you see yeah. on the side of the NFL sideline. I'll actually set up and put those right behind me. There'll be no wind downrange. It just feels like it's blowing at your back, right? And one thing I think that happens is if the wind's blowing at your back, let's say 20 miles an hour, that's pretty significant, 15 miles an hour, it's going to force you to kind of want to get your pressure or your weight towards your toes. So I think what a lot of golfers do is they'll kind of quote-unquote early extend. They'll come out of their posture, so to speak. Okay. So one thing that's helped me, because that's a counterbalancing move, right, is to kind of get your weight further back on your heels. And, and maybe you do that because your hips go forward and your chest comes up. And that tips the shaft and you get your swing direction more left and you hit a you know, a, a shot that gets you into, into real trouble. So one thing that's helped me is to really try to stay in my posture or flexion with my upper body. That's number one. Number two could be uh, changing, like we talked about, we recently had a conversation with Kent Notes about driver versus three wood. Three wood might be easier to draw. So I think considering going to a three wood in that scenario could be super helpful where you have a little bit more spin, maybe easier to draw. If you have the skill and capability, it might not be a bad idea to try to bias your impact location slightly to the toe. Certainly that's a little bit more advanced technique for uh, for maybe a player that could they could do that, uh, and then changing your tee height, I think uh, teeing it low with your driver will generally impart more slice spin. Okay. So if you're comfortable with that, trying to bias your impact location slightly high and slightly uh, toe side can kind of hedge that. So I've tried to implement, you know, the combination of all those three things. At the end of the day, Shane, these scary shots. The most important thing is to commit you got to commit. Even if you happen to get it in there and get it into trouble, you want to be happy with uh, your commitment to that shot. So we've brought up, I'd say, shots that you might face once a round or maybe once a month, right? A mud ball, a 40, 50-yard bunker shot. Like These don't happen every round. Yeah. This happens multiple times around. And it's as much as you guys have done in terms of trying to simplify gapping for players, There's we don't have 30 clubs in the bag, right? We've got yeah. 14 clubs in the bag, and that is it. What about awkward yardage or in-between club golf shots with an iron? What do you tell people when their 7-iron goes 140, their 6-iron goes 155, and they're at 145, and they're going, do I try to – Step on the seven iron. Do I try to hit an easy six? Like, what do you feel like is the best case scenario or the best practice for the player that deals with the in-between shot that they have three, four, five times around? Shane, I think it's highly dependent on the skill of the golfer, right? And so if it's, uh, let's say, mid to high handicap player, they're probably not skilled enough to kind of maybe be practicing some tweener techniques. I would say at that point, it's all about – uh, strategy. Like, is it better to be long of the pin? Is it better to be short? One yep. thing we've seen glaring with our Arcos data mining is that mid to high handicap golfers come up short at a ratio of like five or 10 to one, then they go long. Always. So give yourself permission, folks, to look at what happens here if I hit this thing past the hole. Okay. The better player is always looking at that. They got that front pin. 
Uh, they're looking at the back, you know, they're, they're looking at the yardage to hit it to the back of the green. That has been super helpful, Shane. So it's, for me, let's say I get there, it's, it's 165, water short, triple bogey if you come up short. Give me the number to the back of the green. If it's 185, and I know if I rip a 7-iron, it's never going past 185. Right. I'm hitting that 7-iron back there to one, 178 all Give day long. Give me 40 long. feet, yep. Get your two-putt and get out of there. So strategy is number one. And then if you do that, you know, take that number to the pin out of your brain. Give yourself another number that's 10 yards past the pin and commit. That would be uh, choice number one. If you do want to work on kind of dialing it in, uh, I think it's an experimentation between gripping down, see what that does for you. That doesn't work for everybody because a lot of people say, oh, I grip down and actually hit the same distance, just lower. <laughs> so that's kind of something that happens for a lot of people. So gripping down, changing your tempo, swinging a little bit slower. Shane, one technique I've kind of used, I've talked about that's kind of a seeker one is changing golf ball that goes a little bit shorter. Yeah. That's, a, that's a little fun one to throw in, throw in the mix too. Marty, something that I have seen with my buddies about golf in terms of this discussion about, you know, you don't have a perfect number, right? Because rarely yeah. do you have the perfect number. It doesn't happen a lot. Correct. Is We all have range finders now, and yeah. we all shoot the flag. And I feel like in our brains, what has happened is we've become obsessed with the number that is on the screen, right? Yep. I shoot the flag. It says 143. And what yep. you said earlier is exactly what I tell my buddies is, don't fall in love with just the pen number because the yeah. greens are big. Greens are big, and you might have 10 yards short, and you might have 15 yards long. And, yeah, you don't get a pin sheet at most casual round golf courses you play, but you're smart enough as a golfer to look at where the pin is. Maybe they're yep. colored flags. Maybe red is front, and you've got a red flag, blue's back, whatever. Or you know your golf course because you play it often, and you know where the flag is. Just yep. at least, if nothing else, I write it down. I'll write it down on a pin sheet when I'm playing in tournament Same. golf. I'll write the number down, and then I'll do the math and figure out what front and back is. What it yep. has done for me, Marty, is it frees the shot up. It makes yeah. the shot way less stressful because all of a sudden I'm in an uncomfortable number, and I know I don't necessarily have a stock shot to hit there, but I've now got 20 yards. Like yeah. you said, I've got 20 yards long. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, I can hit the longer club. Because even if I mash it, to your point about the 7-iron 185, even if I absolutely hit it in the screws, I know yep. that ball's not going to go over the green. And if you're on the green and you have 30 feet for birdie, make your par and move on to when you get a more comfortable number. Yeah, Shane, that's great advice. And one of my friends who caddies on the PGA Tours, caddied for me in a bunch of events, he said, hey, you need to kind of caddy for yourself in these tournaments. When I'm out there playing by myself, yep. I've actually literally tried to do that, like first person, third person, like – Oh, 185. You're never going over with that. You're, you get you can rip that all day long and you will never go over. So that's such uh, important advice and it has that com compounding effect, Shane, that it frees you up. Now, I think one interesting thing I was so curious about when we talked to Victor Hovland about his win in the playoff event in, in uh, Chicago was when, when, he, when he shot 28 on the back nine, I think he actually did have the perfect number on a lot of those I, shots. I totally agree. And that's how that, that was part of how that happened is like, okay, he could he, he could literally go at every flag because he had the perfect number. Yeah, he took a little bit off here, look a bit, little bit off there. That's when the magic happens. But that is a rare thing to have that perfect number on, on a lot of shots. Yeah, I mean, we're talking a bit about scary shots, but we're also talking a bit about misconceptions in and around golf yeah. shots and golf. 
And uh, James Nitties has brought this up to me multiple times. I do a lot of the Corn Ferry Tour coverage yeah. with James. He's become a good buddy of mine. And he says that you hear so many people say it's tough to back up a, a really low round with another great round. And one of yeah. his points about that is most really low rounds from pro golfers happen when you do have those great numbers. So yeah. you have a round where three of the par threes are your stock clubs, yep. and then you've hit six or seven tee shots to stock numbers. And when yes. you're really grooving and you're feeling good with the golf swing and with your golf game – that's going to be inside of an eight-foot circle. You're going to have a lot of birdie putts there. And yeah. then the next day, all of a sudden, the par threes aren't your stock numbers, and you yeah, aren't hitting exactly. those tee shots <laughs> to stock numbers, and it's not as easy to hit the ball to eight feet. So I find that really fascinating. Um, another scary shot. Before we get to one more, I did want to ask you. You're a great player. You've played in major championships. We know about your golf pedigree. What is your scary shot? What's the shot that scares Marty the most when you're playing competitive golf? Shane, in those big events, it's the scariest thing for me is the first tee shot. I got to be honest. Okay, okay. Like, I am so nervous, man. That first major I played in at Atlanta Athletic Club, I just was so nervous and had a lot of anxiety about getting off the first tee. It doesn't matter if it's like the easiest hole. Even when I played the Phoenix Open here, and the first hole is like a nothing burger. Like You're probably not a hitting driver, right? Yeah. You don't even hit driver. I was so nervous. I like tee driver super low, and I chipped it down there. <laughs> So uh, that that is uh, that that scares me more than it, you know whatever I could be on the second green having to hit a flop shot into the grain over a bunker, and that will that is nothing compared to getting off that first tee. And and I think that's for me because I only play in those. Ev- I'm not playing those events like all the time, right? But it's so strange after I hit that first tee shot, walking down the tour walk with my caddy, everything's like back to normal, and I'm pumped, excited, and feeling good. Marty, it's funny with uh, with kind of some changes in technology. It to me, and I'm sure you feel the same way. With the G430 driver, I'm so in love with this driver that when I'm nervous, I want to hit the driver same. over every other club in my bag. I think if you go back 20 years, that would not have been the case for most golfers. Same. They're going to hit a, yep. a long iron. They're going to try to get something in the fairway. Yep. I'm with you. I'd say if you <laughs> ask me the same question, always the first tee. I'll be thinking about it a day in advance, like, oh my goodness, this first hole. And at the amateur at, you know, I started at Colorado, the first hole is a par five and you have to bash driver and you have to hit a good driver. And it was actually nice for me because I remember I was so nervous about the tee shot trouble on both sides. If you miss the fairway, you're basically going to be routine. And I got on the tee and I said, aim right and just try to hit it as hard as you can. Because what that does is it kind of frees a bit of the nerves up, allowing you to swing driver. And like you said, in a nervy moment of yours, playing your first Phoenix Open, the last thing you want to do is try to kind of crunch, squeeze a hybrid. You're like, man, I'll just hit the the driver again. I need that big head. Yeah, um, so th- so that's scary for me personally, like that first tee shot. But you know, that's different for everybody, you know. But uh, that's uh, that's giving me some anxiety, and and I've tried to be very uh, aware of it. Like, hey, this is going to happen. Uh, you are going to be it's nervous like embrace, on that first Embrace assault. your nerves. Embrace it. You know, it's going to be a part of it. All right, last one for you. Uh, left to right putts for righty. What do you do to avoid the scariness of having that slider that moves away from you? You know, I always go back to Torrey Pines and John Rahm and his ability to make those putts on the last two holes that were all sliding away from him. Those are scary putts for right-handers. For me, obviously, it's moving the other way. But 
how do you commit to the putts that move away from a golfer that feel like they're hard to get online? Yeah, I think the sensation that at least I've had, Shane, personally, is it's almost like right when the ball's still on the face, it's starting to slide it's and already slip sliding. over to the right. I totally agree with you. <laughs> so that's pretty interesting. I think one thing that I've done is um, – you know, stand a little, you know, change how far you're standing from the ball. So I will actually scoot a little bit closer ah, to the okay. to the ones. Okay. So I think that kind of hedges the, the face a little bit more close and it keeps my pressure and my weight more on my toes, right? Again, kind of, kind of, I think that when the ball above and below your feet, there's a lot going on there because you're not used to practicing those things. And then I think the big thing, this, this might be sound like very simple advice is, Try to turn that thing into a straight putt. So, you know, work on your green reading, pick a really good target, pick a really good spot. That's, that's helped me is try to try to improve my green reading. And even if this putt, I mean, those putts John Rom made were breaking like 12 feet or 15 feet or whatever, but try to almost visualize your, your, your watching TV with the, with the putt viewed trace and the putt trace (laughs) and saying, okay, this is where I need to start this thing. Right. And be really committed to that and try to think about it like a visualize it like a straight putt and just let it go. Don't worry about making it. Just commit to it. Marty, I'm not a I'm not a draw line on the golf ball guy. I I don't do that. I did it for a while and what I learned about myself was I I'm more of a field putter yep. and what happened was I became obsessed with the line. I got to start yes. it on the line here. So it's never worked great for me. What I have learned is I will line up those putts. So again, I'm a left-handed golfer, so mine are moving the other way from you. Mine are moving right to left. I'll line up like the Pro V1X line with the with the arrows yep. on it. I don't have the I don't draw it on them with the sharpie, but when I have the scary six footers that are moving that way that you need to make for par, I'll actually line it up because to me, Marty, it does what you said. It makes it a straight putt, right? Yes. All of a sudden, yeah. as long as I can start it on that line, I know that it has a good chance of going in, and it saves me that face push that's so easy to do. Yeah, and I, I think you see the tour players, like this kind of gets into that concept of block practice versus random, but I think you've seen some tour players talk about they have a big putt under pressure and they just put themselves uh, in the scenario of their block practice. Like, oh, I'm just going to treat this one. Yep. Like I just I just hit a bunch of these 12-footers with my or 8-footers with my mirrors and my alignments and all that stuff, uh, and they just put themselves into that zone, you know? Uh, I think it was Justin Rose talked about that at the Ryder Cup, right? Like I'm just going to hit this like I like I like I do my block practice, and if you put that line on there or turn it into a straight putt, I think that is a way to kind of get out of this pressure scary moment and put yourself into okay. I'm, I'm gonna I, I've hit a, I just hit a million of these uh, you know uh, in practice. Yeah, Marty, it's funny. I one of the things that flipped for me in terms of putting in that five eight foot circle that obviously is kind of that scoring area is I would. I would go through a lot of what ifs in my brain as I was either looking at a putt or reading a putt or it's going to break more than it is or whatever. And something that's helped me over the last couple of years is I've simplified it down to this. If it's a really nervy putt, I tell myself there are two scenarios. You can miss it or you can make it. And that is it. And it doesn't matter if you've read it perfectly or if you hit the perfect putt. There's there's two outcomes. And all you can do, and you said this earlier – all you can do is commit to what you yeah. think the putt does. And if you've committed to it and it doesn't go in, then you read it wrong or 
it didn't roll perfect, it hit something, whatever the case may be. But if you have committed to what you saw the putt do, that's all you can do. That's the only thing you can kind of control. Yeah, I agree. I mean, what I do on my putting chain is I, I do it based on my breath work, right? So okay. I do these uh, kind of a, a breathing technique that is intended to calm your nervous system. And when, in my routine, I do four breaths and I release, I, I roll the putt after my last exhale on that fourth breath. But one, one thing I always think about, Shane, is that is Tiger making that putt. We've all seen the worm cam at Torrey Pines yeah, where yeah, he made oh, the putt to get in the playoff. Man, oh man, that ball's like, I mean, it's it, it's like Plinko going down there. I mean, how, in the, I mean, think about what was, he couldn't force that thing in. He just could let it go. It's going to hit all its little humps and bumps and then boom, drop in there. I mean, I mean, look at how much that changed history. You can only control getting that ball started. You know, the rest of it is out of your control. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, some guys complete the pass on fourth and six, and some guys don't. And <laughs> Tiger was obviously a guy that would always complete the path on four, pass on fourth and six. Do you have any more scary golf shots you want to hit on before we go? Because I know, like, Oof. there's plenty. I mean, there's a million out there. I mean, off a car path, out of a divot, anything that you've kind of feel like you've perfected in terms of the scary Halloween shot that, that you've got advice on? I think the uh, man in the, the other scary one for me, Shane, is into the grain, super grainy Bermuda, Texas, Florida grain, whatever. Yeah, what you got to hit nervous it high. Thing. I'm getting nervous with you talking about it, Marty. You got a bunker there that's soft and sandy, and you're gonna plug it. You got to hit it high. The pins tucked. You're short sighted, man. You have to commit. You got to commit. I think the big thing on scary shots. For everybody, is take your medicine. Like, don't be afraid, even if you're around the green or in a bunker 40, 50 yards out. Get the ball in the green. Eliminate the double bogey. Yeah, it's it's so funny that I feel like most golfers you play with, you know, somebody that's in that, let's call it 8 to 15 handicap range, they've been struggling off the tee most of the day. They pipe a drive on a par 5. Yeah. They're kind of at their max carry or capacity with the three wood and there's trouble around the green and they're, tr they're trying to hit three wood on the green, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you're sitting there going, you did the hard part. You hit the drive, you pulled it off. Yeah. Make this easy on yourself. Hit a six iron down the fairway, give yourself a hundred yards. And even as a 15 handicap from a hundred yards, you're likely going to hit it in and around the green and give yourself that chance at par. And maybe you hit a great wedge and you make the birdie, but What's the likelihood that after the great tee shot, when the swing hasn't been there all day, you're going to produce that three wood that goes your best distance possible to get on the green, you know, yeah. water short, water left. It's just try, like you said, try to take the scary out of it by giving yourself a little leeway. Exactly. Exactly. Shane. Hey, golf it, is, there's scary shots every time you tee it up. That's, that's, Every that's, that's the beauty single. and the pain of this game. I, I think I still think about <laughs> golf shots that I've hit over the years that frightened me to the core uh, that I exactly. wish I could have back. But we all have them. Uh, for everybody, have a happy, have a safe, have a great Halloween. Uh, take some of the candy from the kids. Keep it on the side. Put it in your golf bag. That's for you. <laughs> that's for all the walking you're going to be doing uh, tonight. And uh, we'll check back with you guys next week. This is the Ping Proving Grounds podcast. <laughs>